0: Hello, and welcome to the Mar Warehouse podcast. This episode comes to you during the first performances of Ola Ince's production of Appropriate, written by Brandon Jacobs Jenkins. During rehearsals, a number of experts visited the rehearsal room to help the company develop their understanding of the play and its themes. In this episode, we're sharing some of the highlights from Angela Gluck's discussion with the cast. Angela joined the company from the London Jewish Cultural Centre to discuss the history of anti-Semitism. I just wondered if you would like to know a little bit about why I'm here, <laughs> why me, I mean. So um, I was just explaining, to Jamie, that I, I I I think I had a background possibly a bit like, well, like Rachel's in that uh, the family in which I grew up was very assimilated. Um, it came from, all, for all kinds of reasons, mainly to do with anti-Semitism in the East End of London in the 1930s, and Mosley, and the black shirts and all of that, and the fear, and a lot of it was about hiding, and the fear, but I think there was also, you kind of have to, you know, if you're gonna make it, you can't, you know, you gotta fake it to make it, and all that, there was that sort of agenda as well, and various other factors, so I'm one of, uh, my father, for example, was uh, Harold Pinter's general, they were at school together, um, and uh, so he's of that of that of that generation. Um, and it was when I was a young woman that I decided I wanted to. I sort of vaguely knew this thing. And it was actually through drama that I really knew this thing. I was in a school play. Uh, I was Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. I think badly cast, but anyway. And it's badly in the school production of Midsummer Night's Dream. And I have this soliloquy and it's Gentiles, let us comprehend, okay. And my father was helping me learn my lines and he said, do you know what Gentiles is? I said, Many of the plays, but I'm just doing words here. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. The one time I do them, I don't know what I, don't know. I don't know what Gentiles are. And I'd sort of heard the word before sometime. I mean, worry you less something in the new town? I don't know. And so he said, they're people who aren't Jewish. Ah. Okay, so why is that, what's that got to do with park, etc.? And so he said, well, Shakespeare is thinking about, you know, he's addressing it to people who are Gentiles and they are nice people, is what he's trying to say. They're nice people and he's sort of more or less saying the Jews aren't so nice or aren't so, accept. okay. And, and then I, I, I didn't really know what Jew meant. So my father told me this my father was a, a fabulous storyteller. He died sadly when I was nine and a half. Uh, suddenly, in an accident. But he told me this I was in between seven or eight in this yeah, Batman's role rollers, And he, he told me this story from ancient times. Abraham and Sarah, they went a long way. They had a vision, they met a life, and then they were enslaved, and they came out. And and, went, and, went, and this story was extraordinary. I never heard a story like this in my entire life, All eight, eight years of it. <laughs> and, and it went on and on and on and on. He skipped out some really ghastly bits, but there we are. And I was, like, astounded absolutely astounded by this extraordinary narrative of this up and the down and the in and the out and the triumph and the tragedy I was kind of, whoa, whoa, whoa and I said, oh are there any more Jews now? This is, this is how out of it I was <laughs> are there any more Jews now? and he said, yes, yes oh, I want to meet them, I want to meet them and he said he sort of didn't say anything and then I said, do you know any? Yes, he said, and furthermore, so do you. <gasps> I do, I do, hoo, 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 And I was banging on his, his big, burly man, and I was banging on, Daddy, who do I know who I know? And he said, one day you'll know. Oh, Daddy, don't do this, don't do this, you've always been close out to me. <gasps> and he wouldn't tell me, okay? And then a year or so later, he died. And I've got this sort of story of these incredible people. Apparently, I know who they are, but I don't know who they are that I know who they are and many 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 years later i kind of tackled my mother about this what was all this about and she said we kind of made a deal you know we'd save you from it mm. you know you know we I, I think your your dad was probably she wasn't there at the time of this exchange. And he probably felt a bit compromised and he'd sort of gone too far and something. And we'd sort of made this promise that we would protect you. What she used to call bias. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, because it was her word bias. Uh, there's bias in society and you didn't have to have it. Okay. Right, so that was it. So that, of course, was what piqued my curiosity, and then I started to look and find, uncover, some, dig up some roots, and then eventually the man of my dreams turned out to be Jewish. Hey, hey. and the rest, as they say, is history. Okay, so I, I sort of get I get that, that that Rachel is possibly got this uh, this submerged or this suppressed. Possibly elements of suppressed identity that might have come from his story. Although it's now not—I was growing up in the '50s, but you know, it, it's 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 now rather than. But I think there's some some element of that. Certainly, her parents, Rachel's parents, would have would have experienced that—the fear, even in the United States, of of just don't mix in. You know, you know, don't mix in. So that's that's kind of me. All right. Is so, that is that enough? Because yeah, I really right. want I really want to get onto this. So I want to I'm going to tell you later about Leo Leo Frank. Apparently, did you mention Leo Frank this morning? Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, did, you did. You did. You did. did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. So um, because I uh, um, don't want to, don't want us to sort of in, into, I'm, I've got a set a set of four. Uh, I prepared some some images, and I want us to just have a chance to look at them. I've got four sets, so it looks like two or three around each one. I think that'll that'll work, and I'll leave that with you in case you want to see. Thank you. Um, so I just want to say, anti-Semitism um, t- has taken many forms over, over history. So it started life, as it were, um, really being um, a- anti-Judaism, anti-the religion. Mm-hmm. And it came about uh, from uh, <clears throat> early Christians' belief that, that the Jews were responsible for the death of Jesus, who they, and the charge is called deicide, killing God. And uh, furthermore, they refused to accept that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and they didn't go within this new religion. They kept to their old beliefs, and this, over over centuries, uh, turned into a form of hatred of Jews for being Jewish. And you know about Crusades, and you, perhaps as as sort of trips down to the the you know the the the, the, mid, the Middle East. Um, they, they didn't know where they were going, they just, uh, these poor people, they sort of, you know, go to Greece and turn left, more or less. I mean, they had no really idea where they were going. But on their way, they, came, they stumbled upon Jewish communities, particularly in Rhineland, in Germany and sort of while they're in the neighbourhood, they might as well... You know, so there were a lot of massacres of Jews in the periods of the Crusades. On their way, you know, they're fired up, they've been pumped up by Pope Urban II in, in 1095, and, uh, and so uh, they, there, were, there were slaughters of Jews in, 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 in that period. You perhaps also know about uh, the Inquisition in Spain. That was mainly uh, Jews who'd been forced to convert under pain of death. And the Inquisition was was actually uh, uh, against Jews who um, were living secretly as Jews, having formally converted to to Catholicism in order to save their lives so the, the, the inquisition was was about being a phony, it was not about being a Jew it was about being a phony, not many people know that <laughs> it's good for supper quizzes I find <laughs> it was actually about being a fake Christian rather than being Jews because if you were Jews you were just you pummeled until you became Jewish but the inquisition was because you had pretended to be and there were great incentives <coughs> to people to turn Jews, turn in these, these secret, they were called maranos which is uh, pigs or swine or something so those are sort of the big the big slaughters of the of, of the Middle Ages, but there is a whole undercurrent that goes with that, including in in England, which expelled its Jews in 1290, um, and there were lots of expulsions, and so Jews found in the Middle Ages they were being moved from country to country. Okay, so I just want to say something about money. So I did a little bit with the with the, with the gold sort of stuff. <clears throat> Uh, a little bit about about money and where where they have this whole issue about Jews and money comes from—it's it's extraordinarily complex. But but essentially, um, uh, according to church teachings until the modern period, um, Christians were not allowed to borrow uh, money on interest from other Christians. Mm-hmm. This is the theme of Shylock. They go to Sh- right, the Shylock, the yeah. Shakespeare you know, Shylock. the last, resort Shylock. Yeah, yes, because they couldn't b- we can borrow from other Christians, but you can't borrow a- per interest. It was, it was not, it was not permitted. It was the Italian Banky later on that straightened it out and had a different interpretation. But th- th- in the, in the, uh, throughout the Middle Ages, Jews weren't, uh, sorry, Christians weren't allowed to borrow, and you can't run a business without borrowing money and when there starts to be inflation you you can't just pay back what you what you borrowed it's not like you lend me a five i'll see you next week i'll give it back and she doesn't want more than the five that i borrowed to get you to see me home next week it's not quite like that it's a large sum of money over a long period of time and someone else is depending on it for their own business so they charge interest okay and this is the root of Jews becoming associated with capitalism. They couldn't borrow on interest from other Christians, but they could borrow on interest from Jews, right? because they didn't consider them to be part of their community. They weren't wearing red hats in Venice, etc. And and so they, at the same time, Jews were restricted. Um, from other occupations, in some places, um, they were allowed to be doctors, but they weren't. In most of Europe weren't allowed to own land, um, or if they did, it was on a short kind of lease. Um, so it was difficult to be a farmer, for example. Um, and there, were, there was a restriction on what Jews could do. So and also being money-lending had a certain advantage. If you're going to be evicted, you just sort of put your gold coins in a bag and off you, off you went when you were expelled from the country. had <laughs> that kind of advantage. There is a joke about why there are so many Jewish uh, violinists. And it's, well, it's you can't really schlep a grand piano from one place <laughs> right, to another. Um, okay. Sorry, sick Jewish humour, that. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, so there then becomes the tradition of the Jew, the, the Jew is the moneylender, and the Jew is the banker, and then this whole thing about you know filthy Jewish Jews and the, all the Rothschilds jokes and all those stereotypes and memes and so on around around that. This is, I think, probably quite a sympathetic um, a painting by Rembrandt uh, of the Jewish moneylender, but it's kind of interesting that he makes him a Jewish moneylender, like you know he's called the moneylender, but he's you can tell that he's Jewish by the Books and the Hebrew and the song around around him. Um, I I, I wanted to, you were asking, we were talking about um, anti Semitism in the United States, and there's so much I could say about that, but um, I I wanted to just tell this story about Leo Frank, I think. You mentioned this this morning, perhaps a little bit. So um, I haven't got all these images because there are um, hanging. You know, you may not want to look at them, or you may decide collectively you won't look at that or ever or yet. So I just just tell you what it can. So there was somebody called Leo Frank, uh, and this incident takes place in 1913 in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, and he is actually from New York. He's of German. Extraction, but he's living in uh, quite quietly, quite um, almost invisibly, if you like, in Atlanta, Georgia. And the Jewish community in Atlanta is quite invisible. Um, he's a member of a reform uh, synagogue, temple, uh, there, which is very sort of. Uh, uh, we, we're, we're not here really don't mind us we're, we're not here Just we'll be, we'll be fine we're not going to bother you alright that kind of a, a, a approach we'll just get on with our stuff ok and he had and, and, and many of them were not really that observant many members were not very uh, very observant to the point where he although Saturday is a Jewish uh, Sabbath he actually worked on Saturdays ok and that was quite, quite typical I expect Rachel works on Saturdays <laughs> do now yes. Rachel <laughs> <laughs> um, and and he was the superintendent of the National Pencil Company, which believe it or not made pencils. <laughs> and on Saturdays, he his job he didn't own it. He was the sort of manager and you know see operating opera, officer, whatever. um he uh, went in to pay people. They had to come in. They worked different shifts and so on. And everybody got paid on Saturday. And so he went in and sat in his office, and people got, came in to collect their wages and One uh, particular day uh, um, one particular week, sorry, on the monday morning the the body is found of a, of a young girl called about this called mary Falange, who 's always idealized like this, like you know sort of sweetness and roses and whatever. Her body is found in the basement of this building and he has seen her because he gave her her wages and she signed she made her mark for them etc and day before the Monday yes 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 so, sorry yes thank you and um, uh, and so there is a suspicion as to whether he has murdered her uh, but near her body is found a letter which looks like this in, written by a very illiterate person um, bad, badly formed not, not in his handwriting at all which more or less says, you know, is taken to incriminate I'm going to be careful about this to incriminate him. So he is charged with her murder, there being no other obvious uh, suspect. And um, and the newspapers run this story, and they're, they're constructing these sort of, sort of cutouts of how he might have got to the basement and still be back at what time it was, to how he could have gone down and killed her and still be back up at whatever times to give someone else their wages before he locked up, before they... whatever. OK. And it's really, uh, it, it's very, very, very thin. I mean, it's almost no evidence, you know. And here he is, anyway, he's in, in court. But what happens, uh, As a, I think that's all I can show you. Yes, for now. <laughs> um, so what happens then in court is he's found, he's found guilty of the murder of little, little Mary Falange. And uh, he's sentenced to death. But because it's so thin, and it's obvious to anyone with two brain cells, that this is a miscarriage of justice, that he's only on trial because they haven't found anybody else remotely connected. The governor commutes it to life in prison. But there are people who are very, very unhappy about this. And they storm the prison... They arrest him. They drag him several miles. I don't remember how many miles uh, on the back of a cart to Mary's hometown. And they hang him. And they have have trophy photographs, as they did of black people before and since. They have trophy photographs um, of Leo Frank. Um, Many photographs are taken of this. Just to, and why I'm telling you about this, because, you know, obvious. Um, but uh, eventually, uh, in uh, 1986, he was posthumously pardoned, which doesn't really help Leo Frank and his family, but anyway, he was he was pardoned. Now, this story was huge. In So the the, 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 the murder of Mary Falange was 1913, and by the time there was a trial, and then He's killed in tw- uh, 1915. Mm. And it was a huge story in all that time and it was a huge story partly because of the way he looked okay I haven't done anything to that. I truly have done nothing to fiddle with that photo, partly because he looks a bit not really quite like, uh, you know, he doesn't look all that waspish, right? Mm. The colouring, not so much features, but the colouring in particular make him look as if, you know, he has some, maybe he's got some African ancestry. And is that behind the reason that, they they stormed the prison and dragged him out, overpowered the guards, dragged him out and lynched him the way they'd been lynching. But is is that what it's about? It it also existed with Jews who were who were killed during uh, the, the 1960s. There was quite a lot of Jewish connection with with uh, the, the the civil rights movement, and that's going to be my last picture. Abraham Joshua Heschel, our blessed memory. Um, uh, he was uh, he's an American uh, rabbi, and he is, I can't remember where he is, but he's the one with the second from the right, is he? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, is he so, Yes, he is. He's got some sort of garland for some reason, and he's got this white, white beard. And he and Martin Luther King were really good friends. Uh, Aaron Joshua Heschel and his, uh, his family lived in New York, and uh, whenever Martin Luther King came to New York for some sort of meeting or whatever, he would stay with the Heschels. That's, you know. And every year, Martin Luther King would come to their Passover supper. There's a special freedom feast supper, in, in, and he would come. He was like a regular. okay. And there was a whole big thing in 69, because that was the first time that Martin Luther King couldn't come, because he'd already been assassinated. He was assassinated in 68. And so I, can't, I love what... First of all, they're marching together. And um, and secondly, what he says is his understanding of Jewish religion is so is social justice. When I'm walking, I'm you know just the walking in this march, not walking down to the, you know Covent Garden Tube, but the walking in this march is a form of prayer. You know, I'm offering up life. I'm you know rising to the ultimate. This is the best thing I can do for the world. That was Angela Gluck from the London Jewish Cultural Centre talking to members of the appropriate cast about the play and its themes. Appropriate runs at the Donmar Warehouse from 16th of August to 5th of October 2019. Tickets are on sale now at donmarwarehouse.com.